Hard to sing Amazing Grace sitting down. So what do you think? We're going to get some snow, some ice? They threaten all the time. I was, I was kind of hoping, I have to confess, I was kind of hoping that it would come this afternoon because the Packers are playing at uh, 420. It's probably a little-known fact about me is that, I'm, that I'm, uh, my parents were born and raised in Wisconsin, and I was raised a cheesehead. And uh, it's something I've never overcome, but, uh, well... Barring any weather, my friends, my commitment is such that I will be at small group, so uh, on we go. This morning we are in a very familiar text. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, John 15, it's so familiar. But I'm hoping, uh, not only this week, but I'm going to spend some weeks uh, digging into and out of this, this text that God will speak it into our lives with new power because I believe that it is a very important text for our Christian lives. I think it is central to understanding how to live the Christian life. We're in John 15. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this my Father then is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you and to your word this morning. We humble ourselves at your feet and plead with you to speak into our lives and into our souls with new power, that you would do a work within us that only you can do. Lord Jesus, teach us what it means to abide in you and to bear much fruit. For these things we ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, most of us want to give live godly lives. Most people do. They want to live good lives of some one way or another. And I believe that that is what this text really is exactly about. Because we all struggle to live that life. Whether we're in the church or out of the church, we all struggle to live the life that we know that we should live. To live a good life. To live, biblically speaking, a godly life. But that's exactly what Jesus wants to teach us to do. As he prepares to leave his disciples, and you remember we're in the middle of this upper room discourse. This is the last night of Jesus' life, the night that he is betrayed. And he's, he's with his disciples, and he is teaching them and preparing them for his absence. And he prays for them. And in the midst of this, he, he, he wants to teach them how to live the Christian life in his absence, in his physical absence. 
And so he paints this picture, this beautiful picture that most of us know at some level of the vine and the branches. And there's that picture of, I think, of the vine and and the way that a branch connects and the sap of the vine flows into the branches. and, and, And you can see them laden with fruit. This picture of a vineyard, the vine entwined on the arbor and the branches hanging off, laden with their fruitfulness. And then Jesus tells him, I am the vine. And there's this picture then of constant, the constant indwelling and that continuous work of God and of Christ and of his spirit in the lives of his people as we are interconnected, a a life of fruitfulness. And he wants you and me to abide in him in such a way then, as he gives this picture, he wants you and me to abide in him in such a way that we bear much fruit and that we bring glory to God in the way that we bear fruit and that our lives look the way that he wants. Now let me... uh, define just a couple of terms a little bit as we dive into understanding it and then uh, applying it. Uh, And that is of the words, the words abide, and the word then also just fruitfulness, which may not be as obvious as we think. To abide, I looked it up, you know, in a number of places, not only commentaries, but in dictionaries and all the different places. And it means what you think it means. You know, biblically speaking, as the word is used, to abide means to, to stay, to dwell, to live in something, to continue on in something, to continue in something, but it also can mean to cling, to adhere, or to be interconnected, you know, and it really is not hard really to get to grasp if you just look at the picture that he's giving us as a branch abides in the vine. Well, what, you know, what is it, so what does it mean to abide? Well, the branch is connected to the vine, clings to the vine, but more than that, it's, it's interconnected with the vine in a, in a living way, right? A life-giving way, an inseparable way, a way that if you separate, that bad things happen, that there's this, this interconnectedness and sharing of life. You know, my arm is connected. That was the other one I was thinking, you know, the branch and the vine, my arm connected to my body. Everything that my arm needs to live and to thrive and to do what it's supposed to do and be what it's supposed to be, it gets from my body. Right? There's an interconnected, there's a flow. And if ever my arm is separated, it withers and dies. The body may go on, but the arm won't. Right? And there's, there's this, this, this picture. What does it mean for the arm to abide in, in the body? It's a powerful picture Jesus is calling us to. He says that when this happens, when the believer does in fact abide in him, that there will be fruitfulness. Now, what is this fruitfulness that Jesus is after? And I believe that it is nothing less than Christ-likeness. That the life and character that's in the vine would be produced in its branches. That it's godliness, Christ-likeness. There are some who have read this text and you have used this text to talk about evangelism or effective and fruitful evangelism. That if we abide in the vine, you know, that, there'll be, that we'll, we'll have fruitful conversions that the church will grow. And I would suggest that that is not where this text goes. I mean, there's a place for that in the scripture, but it's not here. That converts, as far as I can see in the scripture, are never called fruit in that way. There is a sense in which he says there is a harvest that's ready, but never is the word fruit used. In fact, Old Testament and New Testament, the the idea of the fruitfulness is always used in the sense of the fruits of righteousness and the fruits of holiness, of godliness. The context, I think, bears it out. I mean, I think when we think about this, we should think fruit of the Spirit, right? When he says you will be fruitful... As the vine, the the branch is in the vine and the life of the vine flows into the branch, that is, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will bear the fruits of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You'll have, you'll, you'll have a godly character which produces godly living. It's the, what the context bears out, and you'll see as we go into the verses that follow, 9 through you know, 16, 17, it's all about love and joy and, uh, <clears throat> and those kind of fruits, obedience in the life of the believer, some of which are, are quite literally listed in the fruits of the Spirit. So I think the context bears it out. The use of that word in Old and New Testament bears it out. I think what he's talking about, it's there in your bulletin, is what he's talking about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, when he says, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, pleasing, fully pleasing to him, that is, bearing fruit in every good work. And I think that's what he's talking about here, is that life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him and and bearing fruit in godliness and godly living. And so he calls us to abide in him, not then as a one-time event, which is too often the way where we go is just, you know, yeah, well, I put my faith in Jesus. I have already believed in Jesus. I abide in Jesus. And he's saying he's, the picture he's painting here is not of a one-time event, but he is painting the picture of an ongoing reality of a relationship between the vine and the branches. Now he says, stay with me. Right? Remain intimately connected to me. Abide with me in a fellowship, in a communion, in a sharing of life in such a way, you know, that it changes who you are and the kind of life that you live. Abide with me in heart. Abide with me in soul. Abide with me with your mind. Stay with me with your strength. Why? Because Jesus is the true vine. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about just that first verse. If you missed it, it's, it's on the web. You can go to our website and, and listen to it. But we talked about just that first verse when Jesus says he's the true vine. And part of what I think he's saying there is that everything that God expects of us as his people, everything that God desires from us, we find in Christ, who is the true vine. That is, he is the true humanity. He is the true Israelite. He's the true human being. He is He is. A man as God intended man to be. So an Israelite is, is God intended an Israelite that is a believer, a, 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 a man or a woman of God and what he intends him to be. And so that everything that he intends for us is found in Christ. The power to live the life that God intends must flow to us from the vine. Right? You see this picture? This is a picture that has to define your whole understanding of the Christian life. This picture of the, the interconnectedness of the branch with the vine and the flow of life between them, giving the fruitfulness to the vine. If that is not your picture, then we, have a, we don't have the right understanding of what it is to live, the power to live the life as God intends. Because it's only when it is this way, the life flowing into us, that we are fruit trees and not something like a Christmas tree. Right? We're all pretty familiar if you did the whole Christmas tree thing. We put it up late. Um, but it, you know, we, we take it out. It's, it's a dead tree, and it's not producing any fruit, so I hang things on it. You know, I, they're all artificial. They're all ornaments you know, hung from the outside. And we decorate the tree. And unfortunately, this is the way that many Christians approach their Christian life you know, trying to hang things on it and to, you know, to dress it up and to pretty it up from the, from the outside. It's, it's artificial and it's external. And he says that it's more of an organic thing where life flows from the inside out and there's genuine fruit that's produced from within. 
Jesus is describing how to live the normal Christian life. You know, this whole passage here, which can be mapped on then to a number of other passages throughout the Bible, particularly the New Testament, it describes what the theologians have come to call simply a, a doctrine, which is the doctrine of union with Christ. Right? That, that to be a Christian, and one of the ways you can define what it means to be a Christian is someone, not who has said this, prayed this prayer, or checked this box, or walked an aisle, or done this, or done that. A Christian, spiritually and, and, and practically speaking, is someone who is connected to Jesus Christ in a life-giving way. That their faith has created a life-giving relationship that has caused them to be born again in a fruit-bearing living branch in Christ. And this union with Christ that is described says that through faith, a person is really and spiritually connected to Christ, who is a living Savior and a living Lord and a life giver. And in Christ, then, there are a couple different aspects to this union. And, and one aspect is legal, right? It's judicial in one sense, meaning being in Christ gives you a new standing, right? It's like being an American citizen. You have certain rights. If you have a green card, you only have some rights. And if you're an illegal alien, there are a lot of rights that are, that are lost to you. And, and in, the, in this being connected to Christ, being in Christ by faith and belonging to him, certain rights, privileges come with that. To be in Christ gives you a standing, a right standing with God. The standing that Jesus has with God becomes your standing with God. As acceptable as Jesus is to God, that this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased, right, becomes our standing, that in Christ in union with him, that we get to be related to God in the same way he is. And that's why we become sons and daughters of God. We have a new standing because we are in Christ. Something we haven't deserved, something that we haven't earned, something we can't produce ourselves or force, but something that is given to us because we are given to Christ. In Romans 6, it tells us that when Jesus died, we died. When Jesus was buried, we were buried. When Jesus rose to a new life, we too rose to a new life. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we are seated with him in heavenly places. You and I know we're seated right here. You know, there's a very real sense in we're no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm standing, in fact. But, But what are you saying? You have a new standing just as Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, that he was raised to a new life, that he is acceptable to God, that he has access to the Father's presence, that he is indeed his son and is in right relation. He says, so to you, judicially, legally, sit with him. This right standing with God of forgiveness and acceptance and is, is a legal connection with Jesus. But this text goes beyond that. It, you know, it leads us to another aspect of the union that is beyond the legal, right, and is far more real or vital or life-giving, spiritual. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. it's there in your bulletin. It says, he who is joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. Or the Westminster Larger Catechism, trying to capture this, says that we are spiritually and mystically, really and inseparably joined to Christ who is the head. Or as Jesus said just a few verses before in John chapter 14, he says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. 
Right? You are in me and I am in you. There's interconnectedness or what some have called a mutual indwelling. Uh, and that not only are we in him and he in us, but he is in the Father. And so there we are seated at the right hand. The sharing of this common life, it is the only way. You know, we talk, there's a lot of discussion. In fact, I had a book on my shelf that I had to read in seminary called Four Views of Sanctification. Uh, and there's other ones out there, and there are probably more than four views of sanctification. And they're, they're, you know, how do we live the Christian life? How do we grow in our likeness to Christ? How do we change, you know, real change? Because change is hard. And there are different ways that people conceptualize it, and you can go through and read some of the different ways that people think about it. But the reform view says that it happens this way and only this way. It happens in union with Christ, in relationship with Christ, in this life-sharing, common relationship where the life of the vine flows into the branch, gives us life, and produces fruit. Now let me apply and draw this out, and for the rest of my time, you'll see in my outline is a little different this time, I'm going to give simply eight implications and applications of this as we think about it for today, to be the groundwork as we press ahead in the next three or four or five weeks, and I haven't decided where we'll entirely go, but as we draw out what does it mean to abide in Christ, because I think as we have just said, this is, this is the source of the Christian life, it's found here. And so let's draw out some of these implications. The first implication is that our fruitfulness is about God's glory. All right, I'm going to take this text sort of in reverse, not entirely, but sort of in reverse. So I'm in verse 8. By this, the Father is glorified, right? That you bear much fruit, and so you prove yourself to be my disciples. By this is the Father glorified. Your fruitfulness is about God's glory. He wants us to see that the quality of our lives as Christian reflects on the one whose name we bear. The psalmist tells us that creation is God's handiwork. And so the heavens declare the glory of God. And then Paul in Ephesians 2 says, don't you know that you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, you too are his workmanship, and so as the heavens declare the glory of God, so when our lives are fruitful and as he intended, and we are his workmanship, so too our lives declare his glory. This is why Jesus said, let your light shine before the world, so that they will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? It is to your fruitfulness is about his glory. The second implication is this, that it reveals the purpose of God in saving us in the first place. And I believe it's in that same sentence that we would bear much fruit. God's glory is the first purpose that he saves us, and his glory is shown in that we would bear much fruit. And so he saves us with that purpose in mind. Theological word, the word that the rest of the New Testament tends to use is to sanctify which simply means to make holy, to make righteous, to make godly, right? That he, that he wants us to bear much fruit in righteousness. You know, there's nothing more counterproductive to the kingdom of God. There's nothing more harmful to the cause of Christ and his kingdom and evangelism, if we want to be fruitful and effective there, is then for those who bear his name to fail to exhibit his character to fail to be full of love and joy and peace 
and to exhibit patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and to show ourselves faithful, self-controlled, right? Living the Christ-like. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it's there in your bulletin. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. God's purpose, right? The cleansing of every defilement, making us more and more like Jesus, producing the fruit of his character in the heart and lives of his people. So the third implication then is this, that fruitfulness is a proof of genuine growing discipleship, right? We're still in verse 8. He says, the Father's glorified that you would bear much fruit, and so you would prove, right? You would prove to be my disciples. You would demonstrate your Jesus followingness. Only the fruitfulness can genuinely show that we are, you know, truly connected to Jesus, is that the fruit of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit is being realized and experienced and demonstrated in the lives of His people. It shows that God is at work in us, right? As apples prove that it's an apple tree. See, I'm not a horticulturalist, if that's even the right word. You You know, I don't... So I don't know the difference in trees. I'll look at trees. People will say, I can pick out an oak tree, particularly if there are acorns on the ground. Again, you know the tree by its fruit. Right? I can pick out a maple tree. I can pick out a few trees. But I can't tell you a pear tree from an apple tree, from a fig tree, from a whatever tree, unless it's got fruit on it. And if there's apples on the tree, it proves. You could have told me it was any kind of tree you wanted. But when the time came that it started bearing fruit, the tree is proved by its fruit. If it was bearing figs, it proves it's not an apple tree. Jesus says this is the way it works. Matthew chapter 12, it's there in your bulletin. Matthew chapter 12, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or you make the tree bad and the, tree, and the fruit is going to be bad because the tree is known by its fruit. Disciples of Jesus prove their connectedness to the vine by the fruitfulness of their lives. Christ-likeness that they exhibit as they know Him and love Him and walk with Him. And so the fourth, then, implication of this is the consequences of fruitlessness. Right? And we see this in verse 6, marching backward. If anyone does not Abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and he withers, and the branches are gathered, and they're thrown into the fire, and they are burned. It's strong language. Jesus didn't shy away from strong language. The Bible doesn't shy away from gracious, uh, <clears throat> you know, gracious warnings of the truth of the nature of things, of the, the, the benefits and the, the truth about abiding and the truth about disconnectedness. If you cut the arm off my body, it's not, it's not harsh to tell me what that will do to my arm, right? He's telling us simply that if something, if, if, there is, if there is a disconnection that produces a withering, 
Strong language and a warning. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of that time when we were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? That's what happens, separated from Christ, without hope, without God in the world. To be connect, disconnected from Jesus is to be deprived of life. It's to be deprived of fruitfulness. It leads to withering. It leads to destruction. But you have to hear in every warning that Jesus gives, there is an implied and sometimes explicit invitation. Right? And Jesus is, it puts it, this one sentence in the middle of this thing. It is a genuine warning and a strong warning. But at the same time, there is this invitation. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Be a branch. Come to me. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. Come to know me and to love me. Let my life be manifest in you. So there, even as he warns us, it's, it's, it's an invitation to faith. It's an invitation to change things coming to him. So fifth then, the fifth implication here then is the impossibility of living a life that is pleasing to God apart from Jesus. Right in verse 5 he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is going to bear much fruit, but apart from me, my friends, you can do nothing. And he says that same thing in verse 4, and really that's the application or the explanation of verse 4, as he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. If you cut the branch off of a grapevine, it will cease to produce. It cannot, it will not produce one more grape once it's cut off from that vine, right? Just as it cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, apart from me. Right, apart from me, you can't do this. Now, we might say, I could do some things. I'm a pretty good person. I live a pretty decent life. I hold down a job. I haven't left my wife. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hold some of it together. I, I, can, I can do, you know, decent things. But I would suggest to you that, you know, yes, you can. The world can do a certain amount of, of good things, relatively good things. But I would say the unfortunate thing is that is your fruit. That fruit only takes you so far. Jesus is saying this. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit apart from the Spirit. You cannot produce a genuine Christ-likeness apart from Christ. You can do some good things. You've been made in the image of God. And that image, though broken, marred, and messed up, you can still continue, and the world still continues to bear some of the marks of His goodness. And we manage a relative goodness which tend to be, though, fruits of our own effort and our own flesh and they're fruits to our own righteousness. Not the righteousness of Christ produced in us. You can't produce the fruit of the Spirit apart from the Spirit. My friends, we will not seek Jesus for the things that we think that we can do for ourselves. Now, fortunately, somehow we fall into the rut of thinking that we could do a great deal by ourselves. And we live moment to moment and day to day thinking we can do it largely, largely. I need help here and there by myself. And what Jesus wants to do is to break us of our independence, of our self-confidence, of our self-reliance, of our prayerlessness. He invites us to walk closely with him. He invites us to drink deeply of the life that is in him. We 
wouldn't have Christmas ornaments hanging on our lives, but we would be bearing a genuine fruit of the Spirit, a Christ-likeness that comes from Him as we are with Him in worship and in His Word and through prayer. The sixth implication, application then is this. And I'll say the sixth and the seventh I'm going to give to you is promises. I believe there is promise in this text. And in verse 5, he gives us the first of those two promises. When he says, as we just read, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is going to bear fruit. You will bear fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. Not a little fruit. Not maybe there'll be some fruit. But if you abide in me, and I abide in you, you will bear fruit. Your life will change. You will grow. You will become more and more like me, like Jesus. When we forsake our own strength, as he tells us, apart from him we can do nothing, and we abandon our self-confidence, and we discover our deep need for Jesus to do anything godly. Only then will we begin to seek Jesus, to seek his face, to seek his presence, to seek the life and the power that are in him, to begin to seek for him to work in our lives, to, be, to plead to be full of his spirit, to get close to him, to make time to be with him. Only then when we have forsaken and abandoned ourselves self as the source of any righteousness where we cling to Jesus for the power of a new life Jesus will do what you and I cannot which is to genuinely change us transform the Bible says will transform us to his image the second promise we find in, in, in the second verse He says, every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. That it would be more fruitful. Which is nothing less than the promise that God will be at work. If you are bearing fruit, i.e., you're abiding him already. If you abide in me, and there is some fruitfulness coming from that, your father... The vine dresser is at work to make you more and more fruitful. That this thing that he's talking about is fully Trinitarian. The Father who is the vine dresser as we abide in Christ and the Spirit flows His life into us. And Father, Son, and Spirit in that sense get a hold of us and begin to do that work. That the Father will work in you to be more and more like Christ. You know the Philippians chapter 2 where many folks quote the in fact, I had a professor in college in one of our classes. Unfortunately, and I had done enough Bible memory by this point. He quoted, we were having this thing about whether sanctification, go ask, don't ask me. I was a philosophy and religion major in college, so I had interesting conversations in my classes. But the professor quoted to me, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he stopped. And I knew enough to know that that's not the end of it, my friend. And I gave back to him the second half of that verse. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, yes, you know, work. I mean, there's a truth in that first part, but my friends, do not camp in the front end. 
working out your salvation. Camp in the latter end. That God is at work within you. As we abide in Christ, that he is doing that work that only he can do. You know, he's doing that work, really, the, the work that you and I don't have the stomach for. We don't have the strength for. It's a pruning work. We don't prune well. We don't cut things off well. We don't stop things well. We don't quit things well. We don't let go of things that we like very well. The cutting away of the useless and unproductive and ineffective parts of our lives that, we, that would never happen unless the God of grace intervened and did some pruning of his own to make us more fruitful. Have you gone through some suffering? You know, sorrow and pain, sickness and loss and disappointment and frustrated ambition and, you know, all kinds of things, failures and so on and so on. If you've known these things, my friends, the Bible says that God is at work in all of these things to cut away the chaff, to cut away the dross, to mix my metaphors, to cut away those things that don't belong and need to go and that won't go. You won't let them go. Until he comes and does that work that only he can do. Hebrews 12 changes the metaphor here. I mean, as a picture of the Christian life to the parent and the child. And speaks of, I believe, this pruning work as discipline. And it says that we should endure hardship as discipline, as pruning. Right? And then he says this. You know, they, that is earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time. This is in your bulletin. As it seemed best to them, but he, that is our heavenly father, the father of our souls, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. He prunes us for holiness. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful. Yes, of course. And sometimes we cry out why and we wonder and we, we struggle and we chafe and we wrestle because... This is work that we would not do and don't have the stomach for. But he says that he does this. Why? It's painful rather than pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what it's all about. God is more concerned about that in your life and in your soul than anything else. And about your comfort, about your job, about your IRA about anything else about your life, God is most concerned this, about the peaceful fruits of righteousness, the image of the Son, which is the image of the Father, to be made in us. The fruits of His Spirit, sharing in His holiness. So let me end by just telling you that He tells us exactly how this happens. He tells us exactly how all of this takes place. And he says it this simply in, in the command, which is we had a couple of promises. We end with the command. And then that wonderful, I've always, you know, I've shared with you before, you know, command whatever you will. And give us what you command. Right? Work within us. I'll work out my salvation as you command it. But unless you are working within me to will and to do of your good pleasure, I will fail. I will fall apart from you. I know I can do nothing. So he's, he gives us these promises that if we abide, we will bear fruit. And then... The Father will be at work, and then he gives the command, though, abide. Abide in me. And we can be sure that he is not talking about an abstract, empty faith. 
that so many confuse with Christianity and with what it means to be a Christian. He is talking about an active, abiding intimacy with the living Christ that creates an interconnected sharing of life that changes everything. Deep, real, powerful connection to Jesus. You know, he said in John chapter 6, I don't remember, know if you remember it. We preached it probably three years ago now. In John chapter 6, it's there in your bulletin. He makes this amazing statement about abiding. And abiding is a theme for Jesus and for John. John picks it up, and he has it throughout his gospel, and we'll find it again in his letters. But he, in, back in chapter 6, he said this. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, also live like the branch lives out of the vine because of me. What an interesting statement. I mean, it's one of those that takes some time. You know, there are those who take it quite literally, quite literally, um, and, and apply it to the Lord's Supper. I think that we must eat the flesh and blood of Jesus. And I think that is a mistake. I don't think this text is about communion at all. I don't think it's about the Lord's Supper at, at all. I mean, there may be one place, one way that we do feed on Christ by faith. But I think there is something that is being drawn out here in John 15 and elsewhere in the scripture of what it means to walk closely with Jesus, to feed, to abide in his word, and to abide in prayer, and to abide in his love, and to abide in his commands, and to abide in what it means to feed on Christ and to to live out of this relationship. Will you get alone with Jesus this week? We're going to talk in the weeks ahead about more of what this means. But I think at the very least of what it means is that we need some time alone with Jesus. We need some time alone with his word. We need some time to seek Christ, to seek his grace, to seek his strength, to get right with him and to be full. The only way to be full of his spirit is to be in the presence of the one who has his fullness. Don't be discouraged. I want you to hear Jesus calling you to himself. I want you to hear this morning as I've been hearing, as I've prepared this and worked on this and been thinking about it in the weeks ahead, is what I hear is Jesus inviting me, inviting you to a richer and deeper experience of what it means to know him and to love him, to be filled with his spirit, to be like him and to be growing in godliness. And and the promise is this, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is a living Savior, who is a living vine, and who is full of life. Oh, would you teach us this morning and awaken within us a desire to abide in Christ, a desire to know and to taste of this life that is offered to us, this abundant life, this fruitfulness, this godliness. Lord, we long to be all that you have for us. Awaken in us a desire to answer this invitation. We would seek to learn what it means to abide in you, to bear much fruit, and bring glory to our Father, in whose name we pray.